You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1139 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening. And today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is a new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want or that you don't need. And it can even help you negotiate better deals than those that you want to keep. Today's podcast will break down what became a pretty disappointing loss for the Hawks, a final score of 133. Yes, 133 to 115 at the hands of the Nuggets at home on Friday. And the Hawks now have lost six consecutive games at home. And after a red-hot start on the at home, actually, they were early in the year, they were struggling on the road. Now they're struggling at home, and it's kind of reversed itself. Probably some noise in there, but alas, they have uh, really not played well at San Arena in recent days. The only positive, really, from this game was the on, return of Onyeka Kongwu, who had his first NBA action since early July. But in terms of on the floor overall, the Hawks you know, kind of had a a pretty decent run in the first quarter to kind of even things up after a slow start. And the second quarter, though, featured a total collapse by Atlanta. They trailed by as many as 24 points in this game. It trailed by at least 14 points the entire second half. So defensively, it was a disaster. We'll get into that in a second. Offensively, it was uh, only okay, I'll say, uh, throughout this contest. So we'll dive in now. But thank you as always for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast. And also forgive my uh, mobile setup here, recording-wise. I'll be back home and uh, set up in my normal studio in the next couple of days. But for now... Hopefully you will be able to power through with this audio setup that I have. So, getting into the game this evening, the Nuggets, of course, are a good team. That's worth pointing out. Um, they're 14-14, and 14, though, and uh, kind of shorthanded this season. So, the big stat coming into the night, which is kind of crazy in retrospect, is that uh, Denver has basically dominated the proceedings with Jokic on the floor this season. Jokic, of course, the reigning MVP of the NBA. Uh, but in this game, Malik's actually managed to lose the minutes when Jokic actually sat, which was uh, kind of the death knell in some respects. But coming into the night, Denver had a plus 12.5 net rating, which is uber elite. When Jokic plays, it actually had a minus 16.2 net rating when Jokic is off the floor, and uh, the Hawks made them look actually okay with him on the bench in this game. Um, other than that, pregame stuff, uh, Okongwu's return is the headliner here. He was listed as probable early in the day. It became clear he was going to play uh, by Friday night. Uh, obviously limited minutes on some level here, but um, it's worth pointing out also he, he's only played one game um, in terms of actual on-court play. It's 24 minutes in College Park, and they had almost a week away from the team because he had a family matter that he had to go back to L.A. for. So um, he was limited in terms of deployment, and he had a restriction of some kind. He actually played well. We'll get into that more in a second. The Hawks still without Bogdanovich, Hunter, and Hill in this game as well. Um, and Capella was actually added to the injury report midday as questionable with non-COVID illness. He ended up playing and actually playing reasonably well, but uh, still not the same uh, compliment for the Hawks as they've had for large portions of the season in terms of uh, being at full strength. Denver, though, without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., as well as P.J. Dozier and uh, Michael Green, etc. So it wasn't like the Nuggets were healthy in this game, let's just say. Um, our friends at Battle Line actually made the Hawks a 3.5-point underdog at tip, sorry, 3.5-point favorite at tip-off. They were favored by four early in the day, it went down to two and a half when Capella was listed as questionable, and it went back up to three and a half. So the Hawks were favored. It was not exactly a situation where they were supposed to blow Denver out. I saw some frustration um, from Hawks fans. Obviously, a lot of that's warranted. But one of the things they pointed out was like losing to this short-handed Nuggets team. It's like, well, the Nuggets still have Jokic. Uh, that's worth pointing out. This, the Haw- Hawks were not favored as much as they were on Monday. For instance, like the loss on Monday to Houston is a worse result than this one. At the same time, the Hawks did not play well in this game, and we'll get into that as we get going here. So at the outset... 
A uh, 15-3 run by the Nuggets to kind of set the tone in a lot of ways in this game. They actually uh, opened up six of, the, of their first seven, including about three different three-pointers. Perimeter defense was the problem throughout this game, and I've said really all year long has been an issue for the Hawks, but especially early on. The Hawks actually started cold offensively as well. They were 1-6 on the floor. Had some good looks, I thought, but uh, just couldn't make them. And the Hawks' best response and best run of the entire night happened right after that. A 16-2 run to go from down 12 to up 2 in the first quarter. It looked like, for at least for a while, that the Hawks were going to be just fine in this game after that slow start. They scored four, four possessions in a row. The Nuggets actually missed 10 consecutive shots. When you think about that, it's even crazier because the Nuggets shot 58% in this game. And at one point, they missed 10 consecutive shots. So the rest of the night, they were uh, out of their mind, basically, other than that stretch where they didn't score for more than four minutes. Collins was active, had 10 of the first 22 for the Hawks. A nice pass um, to Cam Reddish as well in that stretch from John. Um, substitution patterns were very similar to Wednesday. Uh, Gallinari is the first sub. He actually was guarding Jokic for, uh, at one point. They went to Reddish and DeLon right from there. Similarly uh, with uh, what they did on Wednesday with playing DeLon with the starters a little bit. And then Okongwu comes in, kind of in the uh, Gorgie Jang role, except for a little bit more expanded than that. Came in with about two and a half minutes to go in the first quarter for the first time this season, and also the first time since uh, early July. So, you know, five and a half months without an NBA game for Okongwu. He uh, played well, played with a full bench unit, which I don't love, as I say all the time on the podcast. But he played against Jokic for a second and then kind of went to the bench unit for uh, Denver as well. He had a good perimeter contest against the Austin Rivers on a switch. I thought he scored a little bit quickly on a jump hook in the lane, and uh, he played very well in that first stint for sure. The full bench, though, checked in with a three-point lead late in the first quarter and lost the rest of that quarter with six by six points. There was a dreadful step back, too, by Kim Reddish, a bad turnover by Lou Williams. It was kind of an up-and-down stretch, which would say. Um, offensively, it was kind of a mess in the first quarter, but defensively, it wasn't so bad because of that 0-10 stretch by, uh, by the Nuggets, but they had turned the ball over six times as well. Obviously, it got worse from there. So, at the start of the second quarter, and that was the disaster quarter in this game, um, Cliff's Notes version, a 43-28 to margin in the second quarter in favor of the Nuggets. Um, the Hawks went full bench at the, be- at the beginning of the quarter still. Turned it over for a layup for a possession of the game. A couple of bad passes by, by, by DeLon Wright actually fought in this game. I think DeLon um, generally makes the right play, but in this game he had a couple of, uh, I would say, weirdly bad moments along the way. But I will only spend a couple of minutes here on Akongwu's positive performances because, again, he was pretty much the only positive in this game, him and Trey Young. Um, so Akongwu had a nice driving layup early second quarter. He had a ni- another ni- uh, nice aggressive take to the rim to draw a foul um, right after that. It actually looked great at the line. You know, that's one of the things that Akongwu has, uh, sort of the rubbings behind the scenes have been that Akongwu's shooting has been improving. Um, and obviously they drafted him, you know, not because of that, but when they took him, you know, his touch is well regarded, and they believe that he's going to be able to stretch it out at some point and shoot from the perimeter. He looked good at the line. That's obviously only two shots, but that was a positive, I thought. And then he actually had some good chemistry with Lou Williams, which he's played who he plays, he's played with a lot, actually, in the last year or so. Had a nice pass as well to Gallinari for, uh, for a layup that kind of showed off his feel. He played about five minutes. It wasn't like it was a long stint, but I thought he played pretty darn well in that stretch. Had a lot of fouls in this game. That's kind of the only drawback from McCongo. Probably some rust there, just what he can and can't get away with at this point in time. The first, really the entire quarter, but especially the first stretch of the second quarter, there was so many whistles. It was kind of choppy in a lot of ways, but the Nuggets kind of asserted control with a 9-0 run to go up by 10. Uh, Lou missed free throws during that stretch, actually missed two of them. That's something that was obviously bizarre. Uh, Gallo and Lou both, both missed jump shots. Cam had one blocked. They got no stops at all, and then some truly brutal defense. From the second unit, in particular, Lou and Gallinari were just, uh, you know, flammable is the word that I would use in that stretch. The Stars came back in. Um, Trey looked like I almost got hurt a little bit for a second. Um, he stayed in the game, but wasn't moving necessarily his best. And then there was another 9-0 run by Denver. So back-to-back 9-0 runs in a lot of ways, but the Hawks down by 16 
with about four minutes to go. Uh, the Nuggets had about a 130 offensive rating at that point, and it only got uh, better slash uh, stayed the same. But in total, this is where the game was lost for the Hawks. A 33-10 overall run by the Nuggets to go from Denver up 1 to Denver up 24 in about an 8-minute stretch. That is your ballgame. The Hawks were uh, better the rest of the way, but you can't lose that kind of stretch by that much and uh, expect to survive. Defensively, it was dreadful, and I will say this, offensively it was also bad. They scored at one point only on two of nine possessions, which is uh, not going to get it done, and uh, so many timeouts as well, and Nate was just trying to trying to find anything to uh, stop the momentum. The Hawks entered the second half with only three timeouts left, which is, uh, if you don't know that um, timeout regiment very much, that's not very many, <laughs> let's just say. Um, the Hawks did score the final six points of the half, including four by Capella to get into the halftime breakdown 18, which actually felt like a win after they were down by 24, but still, that's a very, very small consolation in a lot of ways. Um, offensively, it was not good in the first half. It wasn't as bad as the defense, that's for sure, but it was pretty close. 47% from the floor isn't, isn't disastrous, but basically got nothing on the, on the offensive glass at all. And only took 13 threes. That's not close to enough in this matchup, particularly because Denver was kind of encouraging the Hawks to shoot threes. They just weren't taking them, which was a little bit strange. Uh, also, 11 assists, 8 turnovers. Nothing good on offense, but again, it was not as bad as the defense was. A 134 defensive rating in the first half. Denver shot 59% from the floor and 10 of 20 from three with 18 assists before halftime. I do think, as a small consolation, the Nuggets shot the ball unsustainably well in this game. That is at least a small thing, but the Hawks were still bad defensively. Don't get me wrong, they were still bad defensively. I think the Nuggets just kind of exacerbated that with some good, some good shot making. In fact, the second quarter alone, Denver shot 65% from the floor and 5-9 from three, 8 of 8 at the free throw line, had 10 assists in the quarter. It was very bad, and uh, you know we'll talk about more of that later on. But uh, in general, a disastrous second quarter that kind of put the Hawks behind the eight ball, and that quarter was minus 15, and the Hawks only lost, only lost this game by 18 points. So it was basically that quarter, and particularly that eight-minute stretch that lost this game for the Hawks. All right, before we get to the rest of the podcast and some more analysis from this game and beyond, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam that's out to get you. Don't let corporate greed pocket your money. Instead, download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, don't want, or simply forgot about. On average, people can save up to $720 a year with Truebill. And because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there right with you when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. And Truebill is awesome for someone like me who has a ton of subscriptions across the landscape. Sports makes it so I have to keep a wide swath of information. It's really, really valuable to have Truebill to make sure that I don't get bamboozled. Truebill has over 2 million users and it's helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands per year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. So obviously the first half and the second quarter in particular was kind of where the game was lost for the Hawks in a lot of ways, and uh, I believe that to be sure. But I will say this, there was a little bit of optimism, even with the large deficit, early in the third quarter because the Hawks benefited, at least in part, by Jokic getting his fourth foul with about 11 minutes to go. Um, as we sort of alluded to earlier, the Nuggets have been dreadful when he sits this season. And yes, the margin was enormous, but I made this note, like, you know, there was huge potential given how bad that they are without him. And the Hawks were down by 21, though, when that actually happened, which kind of closed the door on some of that. And uh, and looking ahead a little bit, they actually lost the quarter, despite Jokic sitting for about 10 and a half minutes. That's very bad. Um, on top of everything else, 
you have to win that quarter by a substantial margin, honestly, when Jokic shits, but it just never happened in this stretch. Um, they got them by 22 early in the third. They did have a 7-0 run briefly in the third quarter and got within 14 at one point, but no closer than that. It was kind of hanging in that mid to high teens range. Um, they did a lot of damage at the line. They took 20 free throw attempts in a quarter, and it wasn't the fourth. 20 attempts in a third quarter is just like off the charts ridiculous from the Hawks, and they still didn't make a dent in the lead. Um, offensively, it was pretty good, actually. The offensive efficiency in the third quarter was actually quite good. They just gave up a lot of points, you know, gave up 30-plus and lost the quarter by one. Um, rotationally, one note, it was very similar in both halves, but um, they did not do the Trey Young stagger they did on Wednesday. On Wednesday, they kind of reverted back to a situation where they were kind of giving Trey two different breaks in each half. It didn't happen in this game. He actually played the entire third quarter, so I'm not sure if that was because they were down or what was going on there, but something to keep an eye on for the future. They got down by 15, about two minutes to go, and then they lost a little um, stretch at the end of the quarter to go back down by 19 points. Again, a pretty good offensive quarter overall because of all the free throws, but it wasn't enough because they couldn't get stops, and they, uh, again, lost that quarter without Jokic doing much of anything. Um, in the fourth, one rotational tweak. I'm not sure if it was because of the large deficit or not, but they went with Herter on the floor in place of DeLon Wright at the beginning of the fourth quarter. They've kind of, and this is something I would do more, they've uh, staggered a little bit more, and they kind of ran a lot of bench units in this game that I don't like, um, but at least tried something there with her, when I guess probably leaning toward the offense a little bit. But the problem with Jokic sitting for 10-plus minutes is that he started the fourth quarter and was fresh, which kind of gave the Hawks some, some issues, we'll just say, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. There was a 9-3 run by the Nuggets to open the fourth to go up by 25 with like 9.5 minutes to go. Aside from a Cam Reddish three, there was nothing else happening in that fourth quarter, a little stretch, and it was probably over then, down by 25. They got to the starters with about eight minutes to go and got it to 19, got it to 17 at one point, and I think it was never like fully, fully over until like four and a half minutes to go. They had a bad turnover down by 17 that led to a layup to go back down by 19, and that was, if you're trying to find one moment, it was, that was probably it. It was probably already over before that, though, um, given the uh, margin never really crept down from like 15-17 the entire second half. They entered the bench with about four minutes to go with Sharif Cooper and Gorky Jane coming in for the first time and only time in the game. I will credit this to Glenn Willis, um, former guest of this podcast, and I'm sure he'll be back on the show again, and also it's on 29 at Peachtree Hoops. But he mentioned this, I definitely agree with him. I don't understand why they don't let Sharif run more offense when he's playing, even in garbage time. That's a small thing because, you know, it's still garbage time, but it'd be beneficial to kind of just give him the ball and have him do stuff offensively and run your offense. I'm not sure why they don't do that, but uh, worth, worth pointing out. I don't think they, I'm not someone that thinks that Sharif uh, and or Joe Johnson is going to like save the day, but uh, worth pointing out that I don't really get that the whole theory, uh, even, even garbage time. Still, you know, it was kind of a disaster overall in this game. That's not breaking any news, but I'll give you some numbers here. Um, you know, heading into the last three, four minutes of this game, the Nuggets had about a 135 offensive rating. And for the game, Denver shot 58% from the floor, 45% from three, and 89% of the line. They had 35 assists in a game in which they were not really pushing in the fourth quarter. Um, 60 points in the paint. The only thing that Denver didn't do well on offense in this, I guess there were two things. They had no offensive rebounds basically at all. They uh, got beat there and also turned the ball over 17 times. But to, to give up an offensive rating north of 1.3 points per possession in a game in which Denver didn't have second chance points and they had a ton of turnovers, that is mind-blowing. The shooting was just ridiculous for the Nuggets. And again, part of that is that they were unsustainably hot, I think, in this game. Um, true shooting of 71%. That uh, Even with bad defense, that's pretty outrageous. But um, the perimeter defense was very bad uh, overall. I will say this, like, you know, a lot of times defensively you got you kind of pin a lot of that on the interior guys. And um, 
in general, big men are more important defensively than perimeter guys in the NBA right now. Um, but I'll just say this as sort of a look ahead to later. Click Capella was plus two in a game. They lost by 18. Uh, he was not a problem. Akongu was not really a problem in this game either. Um, I thought Collins was okay. It was the perimeter defense. And that's been a theme all season long. But, you know, you know, Trey was awesome on offense. He was bad on defense. Uh, Herder was not good on defense in this game. It was kind of slow-footed, I thought, overall. We'll come back to that in a second. And then especially the Lou Williams, the Nilo Gallinari minutes are just, like, untenably bad defensively in a lot of ways. So the perimeter was the issue. TLC wasn't very good either in this game, I don't, I don't think, defensively um, by his standards either. So uh, a lot to get into. But in general, the defense was just kind of so bad that they had no chance. That's kind of where I would describe that in this game. Offensively, they weren't good but they weren't disastrous. They kind of scored like a little bit below their normal average. Denver's not very good on defense, though. That's worth pointing out. And they didn't shoot it well from the perimeter. Uh, 724 from the floor in this game. I'm sorry, from three in this game. And their mid-range was, you know, not terrible, but not good. They took too many mid-rangers in this game. Actually shot well at the rim. Uh, got to the rim 27 times. But got to the line a lot. 34 attempts. Not too bad there. But, um, you know, 724 from three is not going to get it done. Offensive rebounding was a little bit of a strength, but nothing uh, off the charts. And then points for the paint, they kind of broke even. Turnovers 15, and that actually led to 25 points for the Nuggets. That's, that's going to be a problem a lot of the time. So, uh, you know, I could spend some time on the offense, and I think I just did on some level. But I will just, like, kind of give it a, you know, C minus, D plus. It wasn't good, uh, especially when you factor in Denver's defense and uh, some of the process stuff was not my favorite. But uh, obviously, the defense was much, much bigger of a problem in this game, and uh, in general, I think has been that the case all season long. That's not breaking any news to anybody on this podcast. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a diehard fan on some level, and the offense has been good all year. Has it, has it been incredible lately during this little downturn? No, it has not, but defensively is uh, clearly the issue, and I'm not sure if they're going to be changed or what. Nate McMillan, by the way, as we round out this segment of the podcast, was asked about the defense after the game, as you might imagine, and kind of gave you know a pretty interesting and I think um, revealing quote. Um, he actually said that, you know, he was concerned for the effort kind of the first for the first time in a lot of ways. Maybe not the first time, but um, he said, and I quote, I'm quoting here, I haven't questioned their effort, but tonight there's a concern. I didn't like what I saw out there tonight, end quote. So that's not good. He's right in that the effort was not good in this game. But uh, when he says that out loud, as a guy who's buttoned up like Nate is, that's definitely revealing. And also, he was asked, I believe it was by Chris Kirchner of The Athletic, um, about whether there'll be any change to the rotation or anything like that to concern and to kind of address the defense. He said, and I quote, we'll look at everything. We have to look at everything, end quote. So I don't, I don't know what that means. You know, there are some guys on this roster, and he even kind of alluded to that post game tonight. You know, they have a lot of offense first players. Um, he didn't say names, but I'll say names. Uh, Lou Williams, number one. Dylan Gonari, number two. And obviously, you know, Trey is one as well, but Trey's still going on offense, it doesn't really matter. But in general, they're playing a lot of guys right now on the perimeter that are definitely offense first players. And Nate, Nate uh, definitely did mention DeAndre Hunter as that, you know, kind of guy who's their defense first guy in the perimeter and uh, not being around. Cam Reddish a little bit as well. But um, yeah, a lot of issues. And I've, said, I've been saying all year long, even when they won, perimeter defense has been a problem throughout the season. And uh, Bogdanovich won't necessarily help that when he returns, but Hunter. Definitely is supposed to, and in general, they have to be better. You know, guys like Trey, guys like Kevin Herter have to be better, and then you know Gallo and Trey, uh, Gallo and Lou are just uh, <laughs> very bad. Uh, we'll come back to those guys in a second. All right, before we get to the player evaluation portion of the podcast, they were from our sponsor on today's show, and the first of which is Built Bar. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, or even better than a candy bar, and that is Built Bar. It's filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and it's high in protein. You get the best of both worlds. It's delicious, and it's healthy. 
With so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Well, you have raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, or double chocolate, cookies and cream, or peanut butter brownie. There are so many different options with Built Bar. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel that you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all the extra holiday shoppers that are out and about. So if you're just standing in endless shopping lots, Built Bar can give you all the extra something that helps you keep going. Throw one in your jacket or your purse. You never know when you're going to need it. And because it's the season of peace and love, do not bring up your favorite Bilbao flavors at family parties because people are so passionate about their favorite flavors, they'll fight you for it and things can get even out of hand. If you're friends with Santa, we'll tell Santa to throw a few Bilt Bars in the stockings this year and with so many flavors that make anyone's Christmas morning a happy one. And if you like some of the marshmallowy treats around the holidays, you need to get your hands on Bilt Bar Puffs. They're light, fluffy, and marshmallowy through and through. Different flavors, all covered in chocolate, and they taste so good, you won't believe that they're filled with protein. Finally, if you want something to cozy up to with something warm as a holiday secret, you can dip Built Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa, let it melt a little, give your beverage a nice Built Bar flavor, plus you'll have that nice melty Built Bar to go with it. Be sure to have a couple napkins on hand. And with all of that said, you go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. Yes, that's promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at Built.com. Football season continues, and the march to the playoffs is here, and BetOnline has you covered all season long for more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season, and you can head to our new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash and a welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON to receive that welcome bonus from BetOnline.ag. With basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, in addition to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of this amazing offer and all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. And one more time, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, and some player observations before we get out of here to end the week and head into the weekend the bench was not good, let's just say. The only guys who were not you know, sort of catastrophic in terms of plus-minus on the bench were the guys who didn't play very much, um, Jang and Cooper. Other than that, the best was DeLon Wright, who played with some with starters. I think DeLon actually wasn't very good in this game, but actually was only minus four in 15 minutes. Made both of his sh- shots from the floor. They had three turnovers, kind of uncharacteristically bad on that end of the floor. Um, defensively, not. You know, I think he was one of the better ones, but that's not a huge high bar to clear. Um from there, Lou was really bad. Uh, two points, two assists, turno- one turnover, one three, one three from the floor, minus 17 in 10 minutes, and I think he earned that. Defensively, it's just, I don't want to beat a broken record on this, but I think he's just really, really untenably bad. And, you know, I've been critical of Lou. You know, I've covered and followed Lou for a long time. Uh, it gives me no pleasure, but I think Lou just might be done. Uh, I don't know if that's definitively the case. Um, he's had some moments this season, but um, the early returns of like, I think his full season play has been like quite bad. And uh, obviously I've kind of said a couple times on the podcast that I would probably go with Lon Wright and kind of piece it together from there. It's a little bit harder to do that. I will say just because of the lack of Bogdanovich, like the theory behind that would be like pairing DeLon with Herter and or Bogdanovich to make things easier on in terms of, uh, of Wright's creation um, stuff that holds him back. But you know, I know everybody wants to see Sharif Cooper. I don't think that Sharif uh, is guaranteed to be good. I think you know rookie point guards are very bad. I will say though, it would not bother me if they tried it, just because of how much Lou is struggling, and I don't think that Sharif's necessarily going to be great right now. But um, they, they could probably could try something else at this point in time. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they have to keep playing Lou. Uh, will they play? Will they? I think probably, just because Nate likes vets and is pretty stubborn in some ways. But uh, Lou was bad in this game. Let's just say that. Um, elsewhere on the bench. Uh, 
Cam Reddish was pretty quiet. I don't think he was very good in this game either. Seven points. But uh, no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks for Cam. Didn't turn the ball over either, but kind of a weird performance, I would say. It wasn't like he was terrible, but I don't think defensively he made much of an impact at all. He needs to do that, obviously, to, to sort of carry his own um, weight on the, on the bench. But minus 20, I'm not sure he earned that. I think uh, guys like Lou and Gallo were worse, but I don't think Cam was very good off the bench in this game. Um, Gallo, as I referenced before, um, it's hard, I say this all the time, but it's hard for Gallo to make a positive impact when he didn't shoot well, and he was 1-7 from the floor in this game. That's a lot of six times, so he actually had eight points on, only, I guess, only 10 shooting possessions. That's still bad. That's bad efficiency. And then defensively, it's just really bad. Um, and especially when you're pairing him and Lou together, it's kind of untenable. We saw that in this game. So uh, the difference between Gallo and Lou is that the, I know everybody wants to Jalen Johnson. There's pretty much no scenario in which Gallo is not going to play, at least for now. Um, for one, he's making a lot of money, and for another, is that you know Gallo has more like current pedigree than Lou does. I think you could pretty pretty quietly and easily remove Lou from the rotation if you wanted to. Gallinari, you can't really do that. Um, you know, politically, all that stuff, the money stuff, and he does help you in some ways. He was bad in this game, though. Don't, don't get me wrong; he was not good in this game. Um, the one bright spot of the night, in a lot of ways, but especially on the bench, was a Kongwu. Uh, Kongwu had ten points and two rebounds, had a steal. They turn it over once, and also had five fouls in 14 minutes. I think it was five fouls in his first 10 minutes, so that's a little bit of a question, but obviously he hasn't played in a long time. And I think in general it was a clear positive. 4-4 four, four from the floor, made his free throws, um, good energy level from McConnell. He looked the part. He looked like, looked like the guy from last year in the playoffs, and um, we'll see him more and be able to observe him more. And, you know, there was, this, of course, the immediate, you know, when's he going to start? And he's not going to start because Capella exists. But... Akongu was really good. Uh, I've liked him a lot. He was in my top five in that draft. I love the draft pick. When a lot of people didn't because they had Capella on the roster, etc. But I think Kongwu is very good. We saw that in this game, and it's great to have him back. That's, again, uh, probably the biggest positive takeaway of the entire night is that Akongwu is back and looked the part in this game. Uh, to the starters. Mixed bag, um, better than the bench, for sure. Uh, the one guy I thought struggled pretty mightily was Kevin Herter. Uh, seven points, did a four assists which was second most on the team behind Trey, but two turnovers, uh, three of nine from the floor, one of four from three. And then defensively, um, you know, I th actually think that Herter's been underrated for a long time defensively, but he was really not good in this game. Uh, I watched, you know, watching it back, he kind of just was moving slowly. I'm not sure if there was something going on or what, but he was minus 14 and kind of earned that for three minutes. He'll have better nights defensively, but it was uh, he was a part of the problem in this game. Not the whole problem by any means, but uh, certainly part of the problem rather than the solution. TLC, uh, mixed bag. I will say, uh, hilariously, he was plus two, like Clint was. <laughs> had five points, two assists, and a steal. Um, didn't give them much, though, on offense. And then defensively, he needs to be better than he was. Um, I think he is capable of that, but uh, he was not a positive defensively. I, you know, they didn't get cold when he, when he plays. You know, people were really mad that he played more than Cam. You know, Cam was not good in this game, so this is not like the night to, pick, to sort of point that out, I don't think. Um, I do think it's you know, interesting to, that he's been playing a ton, and I think that's justified. I'll say this. Like, there's no scenario right now where they can just not play TLC. I see a lot of that from Hawks fans. I kind of get it because he's a low-profile guy. He's not part of the core and all that stuff. But if you look at the roster, he, he has to play. There's no way around that because of who's available and who's not. You know, without Bedanovich and without Hunter and even without Solomon Hill, um, they kind of have to play him. Um, 33 minutes is a lot. If you want to argue for less, I totally get that. But uh, he wasn't, like, the problem tonight you. And then the three guys who I think probably played the best, uh, aside from Okongwu, and on this night was Young, Capella, and Collins. Um, Capella, I thought, was pretty good, honestly. 15 points and 11 rebounds and three blocks in 24 minutes. Like, you can't really be disappointed by that. 
um, playing against Jokic, the only thing that he would that I would say is that he missed four or five free throws. That's a problem for Capella. It's been a problem for a long time, but he, I think it's, it's, it's almost getting worse. I think he's like he even has less feel at the line than he has in the past. But I think he generally was pretty good. Um, and I get people want Kongwu to play more, but in general, you know, I think Capella's not the problem in this game. Uh, you know, that, that might sound weird on a night when, when Denver had 60 points in the paint, but it was really just uncontested perimeter stuff that was leading to most of the problems. And yes, Jokic is better than Capella. That's not a big secret, but I thought he was not the problem. Uh, Collins was pretty good. 20 points, 10 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 assists. Probably not his best game defensively on the whole, but it wasn't like he was a huge problem either. 7-13 from the floor, left the line 5 times. A general positive as he's been most of the season. And then Trey Young, 34 points, 10 assists, 2 steals for Trey. 12-27 from the floor is not great, but he was 11-21 of 21 on 2. That's totally fine. That's the line 10 times as well. I think he was good on offense. I will say Trey was not good defensively. Um, he not he, That's not like a huge surprise to anybody I know. Um, but worth pointing out that he was definitely part of the problem with that. But when you're given that much on offense, uh, it's definitely more understandable. And also, uh, with this game, Trey's now scored 25 points or more in 12 consecutive games. That's the longest streak in the NBA. And uh, more impressively, the longest streak in the, uh, for the Hawks since Neek in 1988. <laughs> that's a long time ago. I was born. I was not uh, dialed in at that point in time. So it's been a while. Uh, Trey, of course, has been fantastic this year. He's been all NBA quality, but uh, that kind of puts it in even more context of you know how consistent he is, and uh, the fact that Trey can have like a game in which he like was just okay and had 34 and 10 is kind of tells you how good he is on the whole. Uh, with that said, you know, frustrating night at the office for the Hawks. I think there's probably a little bit too much you know sky is falling right now, but I do understand it because of how bad Monday was in particular. Losing six, six games in a row at home is not good. They were pretty decent on Wednesday in the road win. That kind of, you know, I can imagine how bad it would be if they lost that game. But being below 500 again, uh, no one wanted to see this coming. That's for sure. With regard to the Hawks, you know, they, you know, after the conference finals run, all that stuff, it's been disappointing to this point. They're better than their metrics. I mean, sorry, their metrics have been better than their win-loss record so far. That's probably encouraging, and the injuries do explain a lot, particularly with the absences of Hunter and Bogdanovich. But you got to play through that. And then uh, there's a lot to fix defensively. I'm not sure if it's just taking Lou away. I'm not sure if it's playing Gallinari less. I'm not sure if it's, uh, you know, some rotational tweaks where you kind of stagger more and have less full bench units, maybe using a Kongwu um, more and kind of always having a center on the floor, all that stuff. There's ways to do this, but um, Nate's going to have his work cut out for him. And by the way, not a huge turnaround. They play Sunday night at home. On the bright side, no travel after Friday night's game, so they actually have um, sort of a, not an off day, they'll have practice, but nothing uh, crazy in between Friday night and Sunday. But it's a real test as Cleveland comes to town. And coming into the year, Cleveland was not supposed to be a great team, but they were playing very, very well. Uh, it is a back-to-back for the Cavs, who play Saturday in Milwaukee, so that's a positive. The Hawks have a rest advantage in that game, and uh, obviously pretty, pretty tricky travel back-to-back for Cleveland. Um, but the Hawks did lose in Cleveland in October. That loss looks better now because Cleveland is better than we thought they were going to be. But that's a real test. You know, even on the back-to-back, the Cavs are uh, capable of beating the Hawks for sure in their home building. So that's an interesting measuring stick game. But uh, for now, no one's going to be thrilled heading into the weekend. You know, Nate was exasperated after the game. Um, you know, hopefully there's no issues. And Trey Young said after the game, by the way, that he tweaked his ankle two different times. During the contest, as I sort of mentioned before, he was banged up. I didn't say what it was. The ankle was what's bothering him, it looks like. I'm not sure if that's going to linger, but obviously they have to have trade to do anything that they want to do. So lots and lots of not great stuff on this Friday. Uh, hopefully people listening to the podcast will not freak out too, too much. I am usually here to provide some uh, level-headed stuff, but uh, I totally get it. This is a bad loss. They didn't play well at all, and the, the defense was pretty maddeningly bad for most of the night. So 
We'll leave it there for now, and I'll have the opportunity to sort of write the ship a little bit on Sunday. Please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. If you're listening this far into a loss, uh, sorry, into a podcast about a loss, you're probably already a diehard and, and you're subscribed. But even if you are, you can help us by spreading the word on social media or telling a friend or telling a family member or whatever about the podcast. Help us grow it, and I hope everybody appreciates the show. And uh, also, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at Hawks. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. With all that said, we'll see you after the game on Sunday evening.